Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Better Words. Hello. Such an exciting episode today. Michelle, how are you? I am well, thank you. I am all familyed out. I've had a really, really big (laughs) weekend of family events, which has been lovely, but also I am now craving time with my books and, you know, just reading and chilling because I have spent a lot of time speaking to a lot of people sometimes having the same conversations over and over again about my life and what's happening. So yeah, looking forward to reading a lot this week um, after trivia tonight, because we always record this little bit on a Tuesday. So I've got trivia tonight. So a little bit more socializing and then maybe like a day at home, not talking to anyone. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to getting some reading done this week as well, because as we just said, it's Tuesday as we're recording. Um, and today is Australian reading hour day. Um, so I hope that everyone read something nice for Australian Reading Hour. Um, and I mean, you can make any day Australian Reading Hour and we totally support that. Yeah, exactly. Just do it every day. <laughs> yes. But check out um, the Australia Reads account, which we will post. Um, they've had been sharing lots of really cool things. The, um, the theme this year is Stories That Matter. So um, hearing from a lot of amazing writers about the stories that matter to them. And yeah, there's some cool stuff going on over there. So I'll tag that in the comments, even though the event is like officially over by the time this comes out, it's still a really good event to support. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And today we're doing another book club on It's Not You, It's Me by Gabrielle Williams. Um, And we love Gabrielle Williams. We were both so excited to read this new book. Yeah, so I will add another link to our old episode with Gabrielle, which is a good few years old yeah, now. Yeah, it was and like I'm early, way, like really early in our podcasting so days. I'm a tiny bit embarrassed because I don't know what the sound quality is like. Um, don't know what we talked about at the start, but, you know, if you are brave enough to go back and listen... Yeah, who knows what's in there, honestly, but I'm sure we had a great chat with Gabrielle um, because we both loved My Life as a hashtag and so we're so so excited to read. Um, I mean, spoiler alert for a little bit later in this episode when we talked to Cecilia Rahern about P.S. I Love You, which was her debut novel, and she sort of says, you know, it's amazing when people now tell her, oh, I read P.S. I Love You and, and I loved it. And she's like, that's amazing, but also read my new stuff because I'm so much better now. <laughs> and that's how I feel. I'm like, I get a bit nervous when I add a link to like a really old episode because I'm like, oh, my God, we haven't listened to this again. Like, what if we were ridiculous? We've definitely gotten yeah. better. I know. <laughs> so like, we're grateful and we love all our listeners for listening to whatever's happened. But um, we can promise the audio quality has only improved. <laughs> Yeah, and like maybe like I think we spend less time talking about ourselves, which is can only be a good thing for yeah. a podcast. So, you know, we were learning. But yeah, I think that's the thing is like I love all the authors that we've spoken to and I'm really proud of all those interviews, but sometimes I'm like, oh, don't listen because we might have just talked about crap at the start. <laughs> I know. Oh well. Yeah. So what is this book about? 
please, Caitlin. Oh, and actually, sorry, before we begin, we should say, say a thank you to the lovely team at Alan and Unwin for sending us a copy each of this book to review and chat about. So tell me about It's Not You, It's Me. Holly Fitzgerald has inexplicably woken up inside the body of an L.A. teenager called Trinity Byrne in 1980, trapping Trinity in Holly's 40-year-old body back in Melbourne 2020. Mind officially blown. <laughs> Holly finds herself navigating a brand new body, family and cute boy next door, not to mention a rock band that might just make it and a potential kidnapper. Meanwhile, lies intersect with truth, hurtling both Holly and Trinity towards a dangerous fate as the connections between them grow deeper and stranger than either of them could have ever imagined. This is a really, really cute, fun YA time travel book. I loved it. Oh my god, it was so fun. And the connections between them really did keep twisting beyond anything I <laughs> I thought was going on. I was so surprised by all the little twists and turns in their story. Yeah, it was really cool because you, at the start, you're like, how are these two possibly connected? And then the way that it unfolds is quite surprising. But yeah, how how wonderful though to read that start of lockdown sort of thing and imagine what it must be like to be catapulted from the 1980s into 2020 with like smartphones and technology and a 40 year old body where you're like um I was 15 a minute ago what the hell I know um, I love it yeah. they um on the front cover of this book is a beautiful typewriter um that turns out is kind of the connection between them and they write each other letters on these typewriters and it's so funny because Trinity writes back and she's like you're ruining my life I hate you and your bad clothes and your bad hair and I'm like oh man <laughs> Wouldn't you totally a... think, as a 1980s teenager, you would think the style of 40-year-old person in 2020 was horrible? <laughs> like, yeah. Just so like we funny. think the style of a lot of 1980s things is kind of horrible. I know. But... It is funny because, yeah, Trinity's like, and your bad hair. Meanwhile, Trinity's hair is described as being bleach blonde with black tips. And I'm like, oh, honey, really? Really? <laughs> I know. I also feel like any teenager who suddenly was in the body of a 40-year-old woman, like, I love, like, nothing against 40-year-old women at all. But can you imagine being a teenager? You would think that it was bad hair and bad clothes because you'd just be like, I would never in a million years wear this. Yeah. You know, like, it just would be so out of everything. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I love about the typewriter on the front cover as well um, is that it's a real typewriter that Gabrielle has and that was like basically the inspiration for the story which I just I love as someone who has a yellow typewriter which some of you who followed me when I was just doing book picks will you know remember the yellow typewriter that my mum got me um yeah I was like yes I love this typewriter I love that that is a thing it's so wonderful yeah it's so gorgeous and it's so it really is like so pretty how they like write each other letters and it's so funny. Although I have to say, um, and I'll be curious to get your opinion on this, Michelle. Did you like the letters that are coming through from Trinity in as she's trapped in Holly's life in 2020? I didn't really like her that much. I was like, oh my God, you brat. No. Because she goes on about yeah. like 
like cutting Holly's hair and like ruining her clothes and trashing her apartment and everything. And Definitely. I'm like, you brat. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, that's totally like this teenage. And it sounds like she's a very rebellious teenager yeah. anyway. So her probably first instinct is just like, well, I'm going to cut all the clothes up instead of like a 40 year old's reaction, which is let's stop and analyze this. Yeah. Situation she's like, I think wonder why this has why. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is like very it's funny just, because also yeah. the second that I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're trashing her apartment. I was like, but what would my reaction be? I think I'd probably lose it as well. So <laughs> I don't know if I've ever trashed anything, but, yeah, I definitely would be like, what the hell's going on? And I would be panicking and not, yeah. like, thinking logically. Whereas, um, so I guess we can tell you a little bit about the connection without revealing the full thing, but basically – the the swap happens on a leap year yeah on leap day on leap day and there's which is when they their birthdays are there's a great little timeline in the front that shows when each was born and what the swaps sort of were and stuff um but when holly lands in la she knows she's there and she knows the date because she sees the newspaper and in the newspaper in like the horoscope section there's sort of a bit that talks about the sort of mystical and magical connections of that particular leap day and sort of reasons why and I guess the idea that maybe that opened up some sort of connection and I just thought that's such a cool way like we recently read and talked about in our book club another time travel sort of book called Space Hopper by Helen Fisher which we both loved yeah and I think coming off the back of reading that so quickly it could have easily been like, oh, uh, another time travel thing. And like, it could have been very similar, but I think that she's made the the mechanism around the time travel, if we can say it that way, it feels very unique and very fresh. And I liked that take. It is so unique. The quote from Nina Kenwood on the front of the novel says, an absolute delight, funny, clever, compelling, and utterly original. And She's so right. It's so original, so unique. I've, I don't, I can't think of any other time travel things that are similar to this. Like when we were talking yeah. about Space Hopper, we were like comparing it to like other time travel lore. Um, but God, I've got nothing else that's like, it's not you, it's me. It's so yeah. unique. And I think the the writing style as well, it's that first person, it's like sort of it's not diary entries, but it is sort of diary in that it's each chapter is like a day or a time. And so you get these snippets of the day. And so I yeah. guess it felt like it read differently as well because it wasn't that traditional narrative. And Yeah, because it's very yeah. much in Holly's head as she is in Trinity's body in 1980. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also very unique because of it, like, as we said, this is a YA novel technically our protagonist is 40 years old she's just in the body of a 16 year old in the 80s yeah and like the 80s is all new to her as well because that's the year she was born so if you imagine us going like our earliest memories are like early 2000s not necessarily like late 90s when we were born yeah mid 90s for me like yeah it's you so a lot of that is like she's like oh my god this is so weird like what is going on and yeah. of course, can you if I was transported to a, from, like to a teenager's body in 1996, 
I would have no idea what's going on. I know. Like you, I, you like yeah. you think that you would know some things about nineties culture, but like honestly, if I if that happened and I was there and I was like, Oh, what's happening? And I sat down with my family to watch friends and I would say something about the show and they'd be like, That'll never happen. They'll never get Monica and Chandler together because it uh-huh. hasn't happened yet. Because <laughs> it probably hasn't even aired yet. It hasn't. Oh. The show's yeah. in season two and I'm like, oh, Ross and Rachel will end up together and everyone's like, nah, I don't know. Ross will get married four times. Yeah. God, imagine. No one would believe oh. me. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, my God. Um, and that Rachel and Joey would end up together for a little bit as well. Like, yeah, what the hell? That came out of nowhere. No, yeah. That was weird. But, anyway, um, but yeah, friends. like, can you – but, like, imagine going – back in this time we're in now as well Mm. like absolute mind melting sort of thing and yeah but it was really I really liked the way that you know Holly sort of approached things she did change things in Trinity's life but like for the better yeah Um, not that Trinity thought that she was like what the hell's going on I hate this but yeah it was and it's quite interesting the way their sort of memories started to merge a little bit yeah. whereas I guess how they in- other times, instinctively things... like new things about each other's lives like as yeah. they were there yeah because when you look at other time travel things as well I guess it's I guess it's like a mashup of time travel and like body swap things yeah because when we talk about things like back to the future for, for instance like it's him back in the past mm. whereas this is also a different person in another person's body but they have some of those memories and stuff, which, yeah, it was really cool. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very cool concept. Such a and concept. I think the thing too is it's a fun read. It's really short. It's really pacey. And it's the sort of thing that you can just read in a day or a weekend and a really nice lockdown sort of pick me up, um, especially because, like, it's it's set in 2020. So it's one of the few books I've read that even mentions lockdown that's yeah. not non-fiction yeah um, so far it's one of the only ones I've read that's mentioned it directly it was like February, February so nothing had happened yeah. yet so the world hasn't changed yet um mm. I am quite I must say like side note I am kind of looking forward to seeing all the rom-coms and fiction and stuff that comes out of COVID yeah I think it'd be very interesting like obviously there's a non-fiction coming out already from like a scientific perspective and things like that. But I think like seeing what fiction this time inspires and the way that that. Yeah. I think that will be really interesting. Like um, like rom-coms about people on dating apps and meeting up for walks with the person across the street and, and like, oh my God, you were there the whole time and we never fell in love before. I'm sure <laughs> How fun that there's would that one. Be? I'm sure that there's one that I've seen where they're like locked down together and stuff as well. Like, you know, there's, there's yeah. of course, there's a classic. Like, well, also, I oh, think it would be a great. Hotel. Like, those would be great movies as well. Like yeah. like getting on the last flight out and then like getting into hotel quarantine yeah. together or something. Yeah. I actually saw in one of because I was in a lot of Facebook groups for trying to move back home of people who'd come back to Australia. And I saw someone post that they started chatting to someone who was because there are a lot when you go into hotel quarantine, anyone who hasn't had the absolute pleasure of paying for that nightmare. Um, when you go into hotel quarantine, usually the hotel has its own little Facebook group for everybody who's in quarantine. And they'll do like, some hotels are really good. We were at the Playford, they're amazing. They'll do like 
games and stuff and they'll also be like we would get notifications being like your lunch is served in case you didn't because there are some there were some times that I didn't hear the knock on the door if we were asleep or in the shower or something yeah and then I was like oh oh my god our food's been here for like three hours and now it's cold um so yeah so there's like they would be like oh lunch is served or you know reminder to put your rubbish bins out now and reminder to change your sheets and all this sort of stuff anyway I saw this story and I think that that's how these people sort of met and started talking because a lot of people would be like oh I'm from such and such and blah 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 anyway they started talking and they ended up getting together after quarantine and they the the post that I saw though was they went back to the same hotel for their one year anniversary (laughs) it was so cute that's so cute the like hotel where we met in quarantine oh that's pretty sweet yeah and they were like and we they were like you know he was on floor such and such and I was on floor this and they put us like you know, we went back and said we want to come back and like be on in this suite order. Like it's so cute. <laughs> That's a very it's nice so, story. So, so there's a lot. I think there's a lot of like things like that where it's like people stuck in apartment buildings that can't actually meet. Like the flat share, except you know, not sharing a bed. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, there's so many opportunities for rom coms there, and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, they're out there already. Anyway, we've totally gone off on yeah. This a tangent is a real um, tangent, but um, it gets to wrap up. <laughs> We really, really liked It's Not You, It's Me by Gabrielle Williams. Highly recommend. We also really, really liked Freckles by Cecilia Ahern. And we are beyond excited that we get to share this chat with you. Caitlin's like, are you over it yet? No. Are you still like? Because <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't aired yet. <laughs> I just mean like, are you, have you come down off the high that you had when we recorded this? And then we were like texting each other after being like, ah. I mean, oh. probably, but I think it's going to go back up again tomorrow when <laughs> we, like, air this episode and share about it on social and everyone's like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope that they're like that. So thank you for listening um, to us ramble about this and please enjoy our chat with Cecilia. Our guest this week became a best-selling novelist at 21 when her first book, P.S. I Love You, was published and later made into a hit film. Since then, she's published 17 other books and sold more than 25 million copies of her books in more than 40 countries. Her highly acclaimed collection of stories, Raw, is being adapted for Apple TV, starring the likes of Nicole Kidman and several other huge names. And her latest number 18 novel, Freckles, is out now. We are thrilled and also a little shocked and starstruck to welcome you to Better Words, Cecilia Ahern. Hello. Thank you. That was a very lovely intro. I feel good now about myself. (laughs) Good. You should. should. We're very excited to have you. I wake up and you could just tell me stuff about myself. I like that. Just like re-listen to the intro. I have to say, I am very excited to chat to you. And I, when I was reading your bio and everything, preparing for this, and I read 17, 18 novels, I thought, huh. And I counted and I own 16 of them. (laughs) So, and and immediately I was like, well, hang on, which ones am I missing? (laughs) What's missing from my shelf? So after go back and double check that list and buy those two online and then I'll have a full set. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You know, it's probably the YA novels that you're missing. No, I loved those, oh, Flawed and Perfect. 
Well, we'll have a, we'll have to figure it out. Let's do some detective work. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, I'll have to double check the list on Wikipedia or something oh, like that. Look, be like, is incredible. So thank you so much. You're the person who re- who bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was me. <laughs> it must just be crazy, and we do want to talk about later in the chat like we'll talk about freckles first but we do want to talk about you know those crazy numbers like it is insane to think about selling that many books and also just you know the and fact writing that, that many and writing that many and it, it's it's you know we we are obviously very bookish people our lovely listeners are very bookish as well we're all obsessed with books but you know doing this podcast we've been doing it for four years there's very few authors who have such widespread appeal and are such household names that we could say we are interviewing this person and people who are not big readers know who they are and that's always a really exciting moment for us and so you are one of those people that you know if people aren't readers they've at least heard of the movie P.S. I Love You like yeah like even my parents knew who you were so they were very excited for me incredible thank you that's because I've had to listen to you talk about her for years and be like true um but yeah I'm haunting you forever (laughs) (laughs) um so as we said freckles is the new novel and it is beautiful it's out now and it's such a moving character-driven novel change family, loneliness, happiness, all this sort of stuff wrapped into one. But I believe that it was in part inspired by a conversation with your brother-in-law. So do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, he's loving this, by the way. You know, I I mean, I kind of (laughs) wish I'd never mentioned it. (laughs) Um, My brother-in-law, well, I don't know how our our Westlife is successful in Australia. Maybe just say yes, even if they're not. But he's in a band. His name is Nicky Byrne. And... um, he, about five years ago, I think it was really just his polite way of saying that I was morphing into my mom because one of us said something and he didn't know who it was. And he said, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose carefully. And I had just never heard that phrase before. And it was one of those seeming, very, you know, very simple phrases that just posed so many questions. And my met, my head was just started pinging, you know, the way that happens when you have, I suppose, what's called a light bulb moment and you can't stop thinking. So within an hour, I had the bones of my story. I found it so fascinating. I looked into it. It's a business motivational quote uh, by Jim Ron. He, um, you know, in very simple terms, you know, if you surround yourself by five successful people, you too will be successful. So, you know, all about the laws of attraction. And so, so I came up with Freckles, which is about this young woman whose nickname is Freckles. And she hears this expression. And so she starts examining the five people closest to her in her life and what their characters say about who she is. And kind of unsatisfied with what she discovers, she realizes then if she chooses a very specific set of five people, then she can become like a well-rounded version. And she um, presses the reset button on who she is, you know, and she can shape her identity and she can be in control of who she is. So she reaches out to somebody in sport, somebody in business, somebody in politics, somebody from her past that she's always wanted to get to know and somebody that I won't name because that's quite a surprise. Yeah, so as you said, it is a lot about identity. It's about someone who's just, I suppose, trying to find a place to belong, trying to fit in um, and trying to find her tribe as well. And, um, and a lot about loneliness when she realizes she may not have the five that she wants. So that's where it all came from. Long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 
it's amazing. And I'm not surprised that when hearing that phrase that, you know, your writer brain kind of spun out and went, oh, my God, like, who, who are my five? Who would, you know, what would happen if someone didn't know who their five people were? Because for about the first half of the book, I kept being like, Caitlin, focus. Stop thinking about who your five people are. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad that this seems to be happening. It really does make people think about who their five are. And and of course, the, the biggest question of this whole entire promotional tour has been, who are your five? And I'm, I can say I didn't think about it at all during writing because I was thinking about it from my cat, from Allegra's point of view, because her, her name is Allegra Bird. So like my take on the phrase and her take is not the same thing. So I had to get into her head for it. But when I heard it first, of course, I was thinking of who my five are. I think the rules are is that it can't be family members because we would all then, well, many people would say, well, my family, because I'm in the house with them all the time and that's who's surrounding me. It's got to be the people outside of family who influence you or who, um, who are, yeah, who, who inspire you, who help shape your thoughts every day, not necessarily in a good way. It's, you know, it's good and bad. It's all those people that you're surrounding yourself with. And what I wanted to do was really look at, I think it's not the five people who shape your entire life. And I think it's a question that can be asked at different phases of your life. So if you move job or move neighborhood or even change your routine a tiny bit in one day, suddenly you're seeing different people. And so you could ask this of a certain phase in your life. Gosh, who, who was I hanging around then? And did they help influence those decisions that I made? So it's a, kind of a question that you can keep asking yourself. You know, you pick five and then you go, yeah, but when I was 24, who were those five? You know, and people are constantly changing in your life. So the question changes. And yeah, anyway. That, I'm talking about it a lot, but it really it did a lot to my head when I was writing. <laughs> it was a very inspirational quote. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, I love that you said even just routine then, because there's that wonderful scene in the book where Allegra's routine is thrown off a little bit and she has a very set routine of, you know, going to the cafe at this time and she sees this this person walking their dog and she sees these two people and she's a few minutes late and she's like, oh my gosh, my whole world is this person, I, they must have already gone past and it just throws everything on balance. And I think that scene for me, like I immediately felt the anxiety of like, oh, my routine is out of whack. I don't like this. Um, and it just perfectly captured that sense of like, oh my God, like who are my five people? And that uncertainty that she feels. Um, and I, I really love that. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I, so she's a parking warden and I chose her to have that profession because I wanted her to be very like rigid and stick to her routine, very disciplined, a rule follower, so that when she would hear something like that, she would take it as a rule to be followed in her life. Um, this is a guideline. I must, I must follow this. Well, rules are guidelines. We've been arguing about that for years. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I, and I wanted to make her so kind of almost robotic in a way um, in her work life, so that when she hears this phrase, it kind of throws her off her axis, just like you said. And She's really forced to take it seriously. And I chose to write it in a, and actually the town or the village that I grew up in and that I live in, I've been living here all my life, which is either really brave or really stupid, but um, <laughs> everything in every place is fictional. Absolutely. But I, but with a village like this routine is kind of natural and there's a rhythm to the village. You know, it wakes up at a certain time. It goes to sleep at a certain time. You know, I know what it's like in the weekend. I know where cars are parking, where they shouldn't be parking where they are for certain specific businesses, like the kinds of people that would park where, you know, the kinds of people that are parking in places that they shouldn't be so that they can get on the train, you know, like I just, that was the kind of knowledge that I needed um, Allegra to have. So that's why I chose it here, but to have this order and routine 
completely disrupted by this guy coming into her life and just throwing this statement at her. Like it, it really turns her life upside down. Like, I don't know if that's too dramatic. It, 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 it turns her thoughts upside down. I think it's safe to say it does turn her life upside down yeah. because she does take it so seriously. And I really liked the scene where she was talking to Tristan who told her this phrase and she's like asking him the rules and he's like, I don't know. I guess, well, no, it can't be famous people and it can't be your family. And she's like, oh, okay. And she's like really takes it in. And he's obviously just like, oh, I just, and he's trying to say to her, like, I just said it because I was angry and like, I shouldn't have said it. And she's like, no, no, tell me more. Tell me the rules. She's like, I need to understand. (laughs) It's so great. And, you know, it did make me feel a little bit bad though sometimes for like thinking such mean things about parking inspectors when I have gotten tickets in the past. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I shouldn't be so mean, but also, oh parking wardens I know and where I live they're notoriously strict I mean they just don't give you a second and 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 the reason why I suppose I I always come up with the premise first um and then I try to figure out what character would find themselves in that situation but I had Allegra Bird already in my head with no story just this parking warden who's so strict and rigid and um doesn't allow humans to be human you know like there's no room for error whatsoever with her um but I just didn't know where to put her or what story to give her so as soon as I heard that phrase I thought that's for her that's the one that's going to turn her life upside down so it came together perfectly um yeah (laughs) but also I must must mention Rooster Tristan who says the phrase to her like he's this YouTuber um kind of a child YouTube star and he's trying to find his place in the business world and I wanted to find somebody who is like eating these these successful books, you know, like how to be a, a better business person. He's got a whole row of them. And so he's trying to be a better person. And that's why it's in his head when he throws it at her and he's struggling himself trying to trying to make um trying to make his way in the adult business world. And that's why the two of them come together. So someone who's really trying to find his assertive voice throws it at her, turns her life upside down, and the two of them then join join forces and become interesting. I don't know can we call them friends kind of friends (laughs) yeah it is interesting because she by kind of pestering him about parking and this phrase that he has you know put in her head she kind of forces him to think about it as well which is a really interesting you know journey throughout the book exactly and and he really offends her um not just by the phrase but by his car which is a yellow ferrari and she just doesn't think anybody should have that oh my god car it was that scene at the very beginning of the book where she saw him park the car and he was wearing a red cap and she thought it was a make america great again cap and then when she realized it was ferrari she's like that's even worse i (laughs) burst out laughing it was so funny and Um, i've I've watched like quite a few well not quite a few but a couple of irish sitcoms and and things set in ireland and my first thought was oh notions like just the notions of him having a ferrari and i was just i loved that and i could just imagine people in this small town talking about it and tutting about it and being like who does he think he is I know there's quite a bit of that here. I think if you go to other places, it's like people are celebrated for for their riches or for the great things they have. And here it's like, oh, like it's just so impractical. You know, I mean, there's, there's not not a load of Lamborghinis and Ferraris flying around this area, but there's a couple. And usually they're, you know, there've been quite a, a lot of YouTubers <laughs> who have them. So, um, and I, the reason why I chose that kind of business for my character is because 
I have an 11, almost 12 year old and a nine year old. And all I hear is YouTube in the background, you know, hi guys, hi guys, hi guys, hi guys. All the, um, you know, <laughs> driving me insane. But these kids who are superstars, you know, and, and make gazillions from subscribing and their merch drops and all this kind of thing. So I wanted to create a character like that because it was so much in my world and in my head and very familiar to me. But um, but he but he's a good dude. Like he's a nice guy. Um, he may say something that insults Allegra, but that's all on her. You know, <laughs> yeah. she takes yeah. it. She takes it. It's really nothing to do with him. And I do want to ask you more about Allegra because she's such an original and real character. And I'm interested that you said you kind of had her voice before the premise of the five people thing. So where did Allegra come from? Well, I didn't have her voice, but I did have the idea of her. I just, I, I wanted to do something with a parking warden, just that kind of really rigid person trying to just figure out what's going on where you don't leave room. I know you're, to do, I know you're doing your job, um, but in every job there's humans making mistakes. Like there's, it doesn't allow for yeah. human error. And I just find that really interesting um, because I used to park down in the village at my office where it's very close to where um, Tristan has his office. So, and um I would pay for my ticket every day. But in the one moment, you know, that it goes over, um, I would get a ticket immediately. And I'm like, do they not remember that I have been here? I'm here all the time and I always pay, but you just wouldn't let me away with that one time. Like it just used to really get like, what kind of person does that? So they kind of got into my head. and catches like, you. Yeah, like irritation and frustration. And then I was just in, like really interested in the job and, and and how a person would think like that but her voice didn't come until I had the idea for the story and that's and that's usually what where everything grows then I get the premise and then everything grows from there but I was out one night putting the bins out which is very exciting inspirational thing to do <laughs> in your life it was dark and um it was wet and I felt myself step on a snail which I always find just disgusting and then I and then like bam, I heard her voice. It came to me immediately. And that's when I wrote the prologue, which is about stepping on a snail and, and having your shell broken and feeling, you know, the need to rebuild, you know, rebuilding your shell. And then, as, yeah, so as soon as that happened, that's when I heard her voice. But um, she's so peculiar um, and socially awkward and very like her dad, who's very eccentric and raised her on his own. And I just, I don't know, I wanted, as she says herself, that human connection and human relationships where are a dance that she just can't catch the rhythm to. So I wanted to create this kind of awkward, but mean, well-meaning person, but just someone who keeps saying, dropping these clangers, being slightly insulting and not knowing where she's going wrong. She's the kind of person that makes other people uncomfortable because she says the wrong thing. She probably wouldn't look you in the eye when she speaks. You know, one of these just yeah. a little bit alternative off people. And I had so much fun with her because, you know, with a mind like that, you can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like she's an outsider. And I and like I've increasingly loved to write about, uh, writing about outsiders in my novels. You know, um, at the beginning, like if you look at P.S. I Love You, I think ordinary woman, everyday person that everyone can identify with and something very sad happens to her. And, you know, and um, but increasingly as the novels go by, I'm writing about people who aren't so ordinary. Well, ordinary because we're all unusual actually but not you know not I think you know, do you know what I'm trying to say quite quite unique in a way uh, but, yeah. but it's not that something that, that life ha something happens to her in life she's her actions are making things happen like it's it's her is the one that's ch making the change in her life and causing 
the conflicts and the problems. It's, it's her state of being. So I think it's either, you know, I create these outsiders who either have an unusual skill, like in Lyrebird, or an unusual state of being, like Allegra. And they're just feeling a bit ostracized, I think, and looking and searching for belonging. She's very much an imperfect soul, trying to find her, like this, this circle of, of healing where she fits in. And I, and I suppose I looked at it from that point of view. We can all relate to that, can't we? Like that feeling yeah. of wanting to belong and probably potentially feeling like outsiders at various points as well. Definitely, because that, you know, throughout like the novel, there's Allegra has like left her hometown, um, left behind her family and old friends. And there's that bit where she goes back and is thinking that everyone who got left behind, like that they probably like looking down on her thinking that, you know, she left for something better when she's the one who's lonely in a new place and doesn't know anyone and is, you know, living in a shit apartment and all these things. And I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what happened to me. So um, Michelle and I both lived in central Queensland and two years ago, Michelle moved to the UK and two years ago, I moved to Sydney and it's like everyone at home says, you know, like, oh, I moved to Sydney for my big fancy publishing job. Granted, a pandemic hasn't helped, but, you know, it's like you're here and, you know, I have some family here and some friends here, but it's not the same as knowing everyone and how everything works and where everything is at home. Yeah, yeah I'm and- now back here and yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the sort of person who likes to be somewhere new. I like... I liked my English village. I liked my like knowing people there, but not having everyone know everything about my life. (laughs) And I mean, as an example today, I tried to do something in the center of town and I got held up by an hour because I ran into three different people I knew from (laughs) work and various other situations. And it's very much that small town place. (laughs) And it's probably like that for you, Cecilia, having lived in that place (laughs) as well for your whole life. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a very, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these people I grew up with, um, you know, my kids are going to school with their kids and all that kind of thing. It's very, very small and very familiar. Um, yeah, Allegra leaves this island called Valencia Island, which is in the southwest of Ireland, Kerry. And she leaves her dad behind. And as you said, she's, she says a few times throughout, I've left my one to find five. And, yeah. and he really is an amazing one to have. And, and often she questions, is it better to just have one really great, amazing one than to have five? You know, why, why give up one for the five? So she's struggling with that. But then when she goes back to those five, she doesn't quite fit in anymore, you know. No. Um, but she's in Dublin on a mission and um, it's taking longer than she thought it would take to, to do what she set out to do. And as she's gone, her dad starts to crumble a little bit, this eccentric dad um who was the solid stable thing in her life despite his his oddities and he starts to crumble without her so she's torn between being there for him and trying to find something for herself um yeah in in a a town where that's very small (laughs) that also reminds me of one of my favorite novels and movies Brooklyn as well for the same things I saw that when I was thinking about moving overseas and also my dad was elderly um, and he just he just passed away. He declined a lot when we were overseas, but it was that similar thing of like, do you go and try and find yourself or do you stay with what you know? And I think that that's such a powerful thing to explore. 
Um, I do also want to talk quickly about the island as well of um, Valencia Island because actually when I read this I was I was in bed I started reading it with um, and my partner was reading his book and I was like oh my god Jack this has got that island in it that we went to so we went on a holiday um, in 2017 to Ireland we drove like all around the coast we did like the wild Atlantic way and stuff and we ended up in now I think I'm going to pronounce it right Savine. Yeah. and <laughs> so we stayed there and we stayed there for a few days and did a few little trips around and one of them was to that island and um, we didn't have any cash on us so we couldn't buy anything there because it was all cash <laughs> but um, I remember like going over on the ferry and then driving around a bit and then we came back and we found a place um, over the bridge like sort of back in the, on the mainland bit where yeah. we could stop and, and have some lunch with our card purchase um, and look out over the sea and stuff. But it was just, it was so, it was such a fun thing um, to be like, oh my God, I've been there. Yeah. Um, it yeah. is such a tiny little place though. So, you know, why that island? Oh, um, why did I choose that island? It, Kerry is my spirit home. I've been going every year since I was born and it's, um, it's so beautiful. And so it's easy to choose there as, as a beautiful place. But I, I don't know why I chose Valencia Island, just because it is beautiful, nice place to write about. And I also wanted it to be someone for it to be so far away. Um, yeah. So it's kind of the other other side of the country. And because I just I, I don't know, it, I don't know. It's hard to say why, but it's, it's so I thought it was the perfect place for her. Um, I loved the car ferry. I loved um how long it was going to take her to get home depending on the month whether the ferry was working or not whether the buses and trains were running or not whether it just it, nothing was easy <laughs> um yeah and I, and I just found it another great setting but also I suppose um I wanted her to feel slightly at home because of the sea so she moves from an island surrounded by sea to a seaside suburban town um and she feels somewhat a, a kind of a link to, to her home um, but really I chose it because it's beautiful because it has I, I felt there was a lot to talk about there you know um, and it's in, majorly increased in tourism because they filmed Star Wars you know on Skellig um, Rock Skellig Island Skellig Rock oh Cecilia get that right um, and I you know and I put that into the story there's all, like one of her friends is doing a lot of tours out to the island so there was just so much it felt it, there was a lot to do and I was very familiar with it yeah, oh, I loved it. I just thought it was such a lovely little thing. And like, because it's such a, you know, when we visited, we didn't set out to, to go there or anything. It was like, we just ended up in Kerry and we were like, cool, what should we do? And and that was like the recommendation. So it was, um, to me, very random to be like, oh, oh, this island, Jack. And I was like, I like literally was like, oh my gosh, remember what we did there? And remember this and remember that. And it was such <laughs> a nice like way to remember being an island back when we could travel and explore and everything yeah so I, that was so lovely well, that's great of all the islands I could have chosen you know the one that you <laughs> yeah it worked out yeah um now we did also mention before you know this is your 18th novel which is incredible um and clearly you know you're not running out of ideas anytime soon but do you ever have a panic where you just think oh my gosh will I run out of ideas? Um, how do you know as well that, you know, something, a spark of something is enough to develop into a novel as well? At what point does it go from just a conversation to actually being something you work on? Well, that's a good question because a lot of times there's a good, 
a good idea. You have a great idea, but it's not a novel. Like there's not enough story in it or there's no story. It's just a really good idea, you know? And uh, so you have to find the thing that you can, um, usually I suppose what will flesh it out is these characters. You find the right character with the story and then you start fleshing it out and it can go in lots of different directions, growing in all kinds of ways. But uh, sometimes it's just a good idea. And I keep a notebook of my ideas and, and they'll stay there for a while. Like I, it's probably like five years that things bubble away in my head. An idea would bubble away for, for like four to five years before it's ready to be written. Um, but I'm writing for so long now that by by the time, you know, five years is it's okay. I've got an idea from five years ago that's ready now. Um, now it's not bang on five years. That's a bit um, of an exaggeration. But I think when I look back, things do bubble away for a certain amount of time before they're ready, you know, before they filled out. I know when it's worth exploring, when I have that kind of light bulb moment, when the, my adrenaline is just rushing. And, you know, usually I go to the notes on my phone and start tapping it out really quickly so I don't forget it. Um, and then I'll start looking into whether something like that has been done before, because there's nothing worse than coming up with a great idea and then realizing it's been done. Um, but I still think that, you know, no matter what idea has been done, you can always tell it differently yourself. So it'll never be the yeah. same thing. But I do search to say if it's a title, you know, I'll search to see if a title has been published already, that kind of thing. But it's um, for me, it's a real adrenaline burst. And I've never done drugs in my life and I don't need to. I feel like it's what people are seeking. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> like I, I get when, when I come up with an idea, I get so excited about developing it, about just my, my brain is alive. It's like ping, 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 loads of thoughts happening. Um, it's so addictive. And um, so I make a note of it. I could show you my, I've, my notebook here anyway. Everything's, um, I either email myself um, so I don't forget or put it in my notebook. And sometimes it, it works if you're, if I'm flicking through it and sometimes certain things can come together. Like I'll have a story, but I don't have a character. I could, I could find a character for my notebook that might fit in. So that, that's the way it works, really. Sometimes it's just slotting things together, but it's mostly that all happens in my head. I'm not really, I don't really do that on documents. It's all, I play around in my head a lot with the story. Yeah. Wow. And I suppose after, you know, so many novels, you kind of know of something, <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, this has got like a good enough feeling about it that this is something more than a good idea. Yeah. Well, like, you think I should know by now. I think um, <laughs> I don't, I don't write until I, I know I do a lot of events and there's, you know, people in the audience who want to be writers and they're worried about starting or they start before they really know what they're doing. And I think what I do is that I won't begin until like I plot the whole thing out. Um, I plot the whole story out, obviously not everything, because um, sometimes I don't know how I'm going to get from one part to the next, but it needs to be pretty clear to me, all the characters, what motivates them and what the story is. And I always know how it's going to end. Uh, so I know where I'm working towards. A lot of the most fun and the best parts are the spontaneous things that you're not planning that just, you know, happen when you're writing and it just kind of, you don't know where it comes from. I don't know it where just, half the stuff comes well, from, but it's just, it, it happens and that's like magic. So there's a lot of plotting and then and then I don't start writing until I hear the character's voice. I think I, I already said to you about stepping on the snail and hearing Allegra and how she would sound and how she would feel about that. So until I hear like, are they are they cynical? Are they sarcastic? Are they positive? Are they hopeful? Are they vulnerable, naive? Are they angry? Like what is their tone of voice? And as soon as I hear that, then I can start writing. It's like, okay, you're good to go. You can start now. <laughs> what you don't want to do is begin the first few lines and then stop. You know, it, that's very yeah. kind of 
uh, disheartening thing to do. So I need to know that when I start, I'm going to be flying at least for one chapter. You know, you're going to have enough there to actually make a start. Exactly. Yeah. Like usually the first 20,000 or 25,000 words flow quite quickly and easily for me. Um, I'm probably jinxing myself now saying that because all of the material is there. You're getting out everything. And then I stop and I go, oh, oh, there's like three quarters of the book to go. That's a bit of a scary point. But then I know I feel I feel good when I get a little bit over halfway and then I'm kind of racing towards the end. My editor always has the same note. You've you've rushed the ending. the, The start is too slow. The ending is rushed. And I say, yep, we've done this, you know, 18 times now and I'm going to continue to do it. Um, because at the beginning I'm kind of trying to plant seeds you know and and try to create lots of different places that the book can go and then at the end it's like I write such an adrenaline rush to get to the end for me and for the character like I'm living it in the and I can't wait to get them to the end and then I just then I do that too quickly so my edits are pretty much always the same um you know hurry up the start slow down the end (laughs) <laughs> I mean that is what the editing process is for so that's fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I agree I think that the most important thing is that you get the first draft down it doesn't matter what way it is as long as you get the story out I write first with the heart and then I edit with the head I think sometimes people can try to perfect every element of the story and it slows them down and it stops them stops the story from getting they, they get a yeah. way of telling the story just get it all out there and you know it can be very dodgy draft where you know someone's name has changed three times or it was summer and suddenly it's winter it's like it doesn't matter just get it out and then go back and fix all of those flaws from the sounds of it you know that opening is very important for you to get right I mean when I was working as a journalist as well like I could spend most of my time on those opening sentences and then everything else would flow but um you know have you ever gone back and changed that first sort of section or that I mean obviously the first section you mentioned you usually speed up but when it comes to you know that first chapter that first line and stuff have you gone back and changed that before or does it usually come out and stay pretty much the same I think it's always stayed the same yeah I think that's um obviously played around with it um like tidied it up a bit and but no I think it's always I don't I don't remember ever having an edit where I've had to change my beginning do like really big changes I guess at the beginning yeah and I've had some really big edits where I've had to do a lot, you know, but no, not that. Yeah, I think that's important to me to get the start right. Because yeah. also, you know, when you're in a bookshop and you're trying to figure out what book to buy, I don't just read the back and I actually rarely read the back because I always think it gives away too much of the story and I don't know why they do that. Um, yep. But I, I open up the first page and I read the first few lines to see if I like how it's written. First of all, do I like the font? <laughs> is it, is it yes. small? I'm not in the mood for small. Um what's the voice like and uh and and that's what I go on so I know how important that is when I begin a story like to grab people at the beginning to and I'm not just grabbing people but get the essence at the at the beginning I just find that so interesting because we had a lot of um you know people who would come in when I when I was a journalist you know people who'd come in and do talks about writing better news stories and things like that and a lot of them would say like you know the intro has to be perfect which I totally agree with that has to grab people's attention but they would say like you can come back and and finish that later like you can write the rest of your story and come back and change it but for me that just didn't compute because for me the way that I would present the information in the rest of the story especially if it was more of like a, a feature article or something yeah I could see it as the beginning yeah so it's like it's like moves on a chessboard right it's like once you make that one move like you can go in all these other directions and 
so for me it sort of felt like if I was to go back and change that like then other bits wouldn't work um so I would always have to sort of pick that path that I would be on I guess with that and then as long as I got those first three or four sentences down if I got distracted it was okay like if I if I had to answer the phone or something um it was okay because I sort of knew the direction I was going in but that Mm -hmm. for me was just like staring at a blank screen for a lot of time and like starting to type and then being like no no and then like in my head just really (laughs) working on that first bit I'm glad that's not just me I'm glad that other people find that too I mean you're setting the tone for the story and I also think that the first few lines would usually link into the last few lines of your story as well like you you bring it back to where you began so you're not just beginning you're you're setting um the tone for the ending of the story too I don't know if I've done that for every novel but I think particularly in this like in Freckles I mean it it goes back to where it began and that's really important to feel full circle yeah I did love that opening like it's such a visceral moment as well and I was lying in bed and I think I was just like oh (laughs) like just yeah it just got me straight away so yeah it's gross and and actually, I, I wrote this novel, uh, it was supposed to be at this time last year, but it was postponed due to the blah, um, yeah. the blah <laughs> that we don't like to talk about. But I was pregnant and um, feeling really sick, really nauseous, um, more so than with the others. And I was just, everything was disgusting. Uh, the taste in my mouth was disgusting. All food was disgusting. All people and their smells and their scents were disgusting. My beautiful dog, it's like a teddy bear, it was like a snake to me oh no um, everything was just gross and so I, I felt really I was the biggest challenge writing freckles was writing with those feelings and like the distraction that you have when you're pregnant you yeah. know that there's more important things happening than this book <laughs> <laughs> so um, what happened was you know I had the baby and then I went back to edit after and as soon as I started reading I got that disgusting taste in my mouth again it's like the magic oh, no. of writing the words always bring me back to who I was, where I was, and how I felt when I was writing it. So there's always the story that I write and the story of me that I seem to just kind of, it comes back like, you know, if you smell a smell, a scent brings you back to childhood or something. There's something about writing my words that brings me back to who I was. So I kind of had to edit the nausea out of the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> make everything less disgusting like less of a sneer in Allegra's words and a less you know I don't think anyone anyone else would have noticed it but I just felt that there was there was too much of it in there there was too everything was a bit too disgusting you know and and, um so those opening that opening ooey gooey gross disgusting broken that's you know that's how I felt a lot of the time (laughs) (laughs) that's just the the behind the scenes story of how (laughs) That's so funny. It's so good. And it's very interesting to hear you say that, you know, words you've written always take you back to where you were at the time. Because my next question was going to be about P.S. I love you. We can't not ask you about that. And a lot of people probably don't realise that it was your debut novel or that you were only 21 when it was published. So how do you feel looking back on that novel now? You know... (laughs) Like, as much as I love when people tell me they've read the novel, if they tell me these days, oh, I just read P.S. I Love You, I go, oh, read the new ones. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so proud of it. And it was a phenomenal success, you know, like huge, set up my whole career and everything. But it isn't perfect, you know, and um, well, no novel is, but I'm so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> 
finding my feet. We've had to a practice now. <laughs> exactly. That's it. You know, I've had 18 novels to get things right and I'm still trying to improve. But that one, um, you know, all the emotion was there. Like that was so raw. And I was kind of not experiencing what the character was experiencing in terms of grieving the loss of a husband. But I felt I was in a similar place to her. I felt really lost, um, really confused, kind of searching for just asking all the questions. What is this life? What is the point? Where am I going? How can I make it better? So I wrote that novel and poured all my my heart and soul into it. And when I read it, I'm proud of that. I see it's a very emotional book that a lot of people can identify with. I suppose the rest of it, I look back and think could be better, you know, like how it was written. Some things I, I, you know, I just, I think I would go, I would approach it a different way now, but I don't think it would be as, as accessible now because uh, that's what it was. That's what it needed to be. And, but I, I think I had my opportunity with Postscript to, yeah, I was about to say, is that why you wanted to revisit? Uh, not not exactly why, actually. but And I had been very stubborn on saying I would never write a sequel. Never. Like, I was asked all the time. I thought, why would I? I've, that's, I've written the story. I've brought the character to where I think she needs to be. I have no other story. What am I going to do? Bring him back to life? I just, the whole thing. <laughs> why are you asking me? Um, I also thought it was like cashing in, you know, writing a sequel to something successful was maybe people thought I'd run out of ideas or like all the, the negative things that anyone could think of, I thought of first and gave myself such a hard time about that. But what happened was a story came and what can you, what could I do with that? Like a really good story that I felt was strong enough to be a standalone novel, which is about the people who are, you know, if PSA Love You is about the people who are left behind after you lose somebody, Postscript is about the people who discover they're going to die and what are they going to do with that? So I felt that regardless of um, P.S. I Love You, I could write this story. Um, but it but it made sense for it to be a, a sequel for Holly. I felt, oh, this is the next journey that she can go on. She can be involved in helping the terminally ill write their mm-hmm. stories. And it made, and, and then I just got so excited about it and overanalyzed it and looked at it in every single way, turned it around in my head. I just felt that I have to follow the story. And, and, I, and I kind of was like, well, if I don't, somebody someday will, and I'll be really annoyed. So I, I just... <laughs> You know, you have that kind of possessiveness over a story. Like, I've got to get there first before somebody yeah. else does. So, and that's why I, why I did it. But I also felt it was an opportunity to show, you know, the author I was and the author I've become. To many people yeah. who haven't read, you know, who might know me for P.S. I Love You, but don't know what I do now, which is very different kind of to P.S. I Love You. Yeah. So I, um, it was probably, apart from Freckles and the Nausea, it was one of the most challenging books to write in many ways, to try to capture the voice of me then but introduce the author that I am now yeah yeah I love that it was that simple that you were like well then I had an idea for the sequel so then I wrote the sequel <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's and that's where every like you, there should be no other reasons have you got a story to tell okay tell it and then everything else becomes unimportant what everyone else thinks about why you're doing it or it doesn't matter because they're hopefully going to read the story and see that it's it was worth doing you know and even if it wasn't I enjoyed it so I felt it was important to do um, and Hilary Swank is back on board to play Holly again so there'll be another movie which is so exciting so that, exciting yeah that's amazing if you could go back and give yourself advice before P.S. I Love You was published what do you think you would say like writing advice or yeah mm. or something else publishing advice maybe I don't know up to you no we're like that's a, a large question but I think the, the the message to me for always is just be more assertive I think you know, when I was 21, I was just out of college and, you know, lectures gave you homework and you did it, you did it on time or essays and you handed things on time. So I was, I was in that zone. Um, I had an editor, editor gave me notes. I followed the notes, you know what I mean? And I think 
what I've learned now is that I might not always agree with the notes given to me, <clears throat> that they're just suggestions and their comments are not necessarily, this is how you must change your book. So when I look back on things, I can see, I can see the suggestions and the comments in there like they're not my voice. So I've learned now better how to merge, how to say no, how to say yes, how to take something that I might not agree with, but they've, they've correctly um, pinpointed where there's a problem, you know? Um, so I think that was all new to me. I could have, um, I could have done that better. I could have edited better, a lot better. I think that is really good writing advice to know that, you know, an editor and a publisher are there to make your book better. They're not your high school English teacher with red pen saying, fix this. (laughs) And they're not, you know, they're not your voice either. Like they are, I think that was like the first thing I did. I did an editing class, um, when I was at uni and that was like the first thing, like we got one of our assignments was to give, to give feedback and to give comments and we were getting graded on our comments and basically not being like fix this <laughs> change this and sort of you know how to give advice in a way that's helpful but doesn't you know take away the author's voice because we kept getting told you know this is their work and this is you know they they do know best and it's just sort of yeah suggestions um and whenever I edit anyone's work now I'm very clear on that I'm like you don't have to take this just a suggestion I'm I'm not very assertive I'm just like just just maybe if you just if, <laughs> if you want I could maybe suggest something like this but don't have to change it it's fine <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that now like my editor would say you know this is just a thought and this isn't the right answer but and here's an example and it's only then you know when you start hearing those things like well I wouldn't do that but what would I do you know you sometimes have to hear the wrong things to figure out the right thing yourself. Yeah. But um, I don't think I was quite at that stage at 21. I was just like, I had a book deal. This was pretty huge, you know, two book deal. I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. And here were notes from this big publisher. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you know? uh, so I would, I would kind of change that. Um, but I have to tell you the, the funny thing, how much I didn't know about publishing. When I signed that contract um, with HarperCollins for a two book deal, it said in the contract, 100,000 words length for the novel. And I had no concept of what a hundred thousand words book looked like um, or what that would do to my story. I didn't even know how many words I had. Like, I didn't know about word count in my computer. Um, and we had a really bad, like crap computer that sat at the top of the stairs that we tried to do like school assignments on that just broke. And like, so that's what I was working on. <laughs> <laughs> floppy disks, like floppy disks. No one, you probably don't even know what they are. Um, so I went out, bought a book like a paperback book, counted the first, counted the amount of words on one of the pages, multiplied it by the page length to figure out like what a 100,000 word book would be. Then I went back to my work, counted, hand counted the amount of words on one of my pages and multiplied that. And at the end, at the back of my manuscript, I have all of which I still have, all of these doodles and calculations of how many words are in each chapter and then all adding up. Like oh I just thought... God. If I didn't have a hundred thousand words, would I lose the deal? Would they not publish me? What does that mean? Is it not a proper book? Like just stupidity. And I, I wouldn't ask the question because I was young and I didn't want people to think I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. And then so, so much I would teach, I would tell myself, like, ask the question. They're not going yeah. to fire you. Like I remember going, um, it was kind of big news here when I got the book deal. And I went on a radio show before the book was even published, like, I had just learned about the news. Again, I tell myself, the advice I would give myself is don't do what they've asked you to do there. Like, wait till the book is out. Don't. But I think everyone was so excited about the publicity. They were like, oh, go talk, you know. Um, 
but I think that was a stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I went on to one interview and the interviewer, like, I just don't think it would happen now. started going through, he's like, so this is a lot of money and, you know, you're going to get paid and when do you get paid? And I was like, I don't know. I hadn't been paid anything. You know, I just, I don't even know if I'd signed the contract yet. Um, then our live on air starts figuring out like what my installments would be like, oh, maybe you get paid when you sign the contract, maybe you get paid when you, you hand it in. Maybe I was sitting there mortified that here we are oh talking God. about my pay. I, I don't think any of that would happen now, you know? No. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of stuff <laughs> that I put up with that I wouldn't now. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> I am always fascinated to, when we do get the chance to talk to authors like yourself who have sold so many books and had you know so much success um I'm always fascinated to sort of talk about how success has influenced you in both good and bad ways so how has PS I love you changed things for you and yeah I guess everything that came after as well how has that changed things for you I mean like the utterly changed my life so you know as I said I was in I just finished college uh, a degree in journalism and media communications I was about to do a master's in film production. That's where I wanted to go. So I knew I wanted to do story, te- like tell a story in some way. And then I left college after two days to write PS I Love You. So I was at home. I had no job. I had no money. Um, I was searching for a job. I wrote this book, um, got a deal. And all of a sudden I have a career. <laughs> all of a yeah. sudden I'm an author and I'm <clears throat> excuse me, traveling the world, um, doing events. I remember being at the Melbourne, is it the Como Festival? Is that what it's called? Como um, with Frank McCourt, who is this incredible Irish writer um, who's an amazing storyteller. And I'd written one or two books on stage beside him thinking, what am I doing here? Like, what, what have I got to offer? And I think every time I would try to answer a question, I'd forget what I was saying. I was so nervous. There's like a thousand people in this marquee and I don't know what I was doing there. And he was just able to talk about his life and all his writing and it was fascinating um but I suppose I suppose in the same way that any debut author feels like they they don't it's not that you don't feel like you have a huge amount to offer but you've got your the story of your one experience and and that's pretty much it so it was overwhelming um I what saved me and what I felt kept me sane was writing I just I knew I would deliver another book I would go back to work I would I would do a tour be so nervous on tour overwhelmed by the whole thing go home and I'd write and and then I'd write and then I'd write and then I'd write. And that, that was really the thing that just kept me sane. Um, but the other stuff was incredibly overwhelming doing festivals, TV, everything. All of that was just made me very uncomfortable. Did you ever sort of feel any pressure after, you know, PS I love you. And also, you know, when the love Rosie movie came out as well, like there's this pressure then on you as a young author did that impact your writing at any stage? No, if anything, like that's the place where it's, um, it, it's encu- it has encouraged me. It's in- inspired me. I mean, I look at that stuff and it makes, if I have a bad day, I go, look what you've done. You know, I don't believe in that phrase. No, you're only as good as your last, whatever. I think you're as great as the greatest thing you've ever done. You know, and if you're having a bad day, you look at the greatest thing you've ever done and you go, I'm capable of that. And that, you know, that makes me feel better and that gets me through. So if I am having a bad writing day, honestly, I look up at my shelves, my bookshelves, and I go, look what you've done, you idiot. Now get back to work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love you wrote that. all the stories. You can write this. <laughs> yeah. 
self-talk get out of your head you know you can do it but you have to make it happen you know it, it, none of this stuff has come to you you've done it yourself so you've got to do it again and like this I've never put myself under pressure to have more movies or anything I've always knew at every point that what was happening was very unusual that it was kind of a phenomenon everyone kept saying to me oh this never happens you're so lucky this never happens you know <laughs> I get you know I I don't know if the, the Australians are the same as the Irish, very grounding. Like you don't get carried away by yourself. You know, this is yeah. unusual. This never happens. It might not happen again. So every time I do anything <laughs> amazing, it's like I appreciate it for what it is. And even though I might want to repeat it, it's not an expect. I, like, I don't expect that this great stuff will happen every time. Um, and yeah. I'm thinking, There's and no way to replicate happens. it for no, everything. No. Yeah. I feel like the Irish and Australians are very similar in that way of like, stay grounded. Don't get a big head. We call it tall yeah. poppy syndrome. Like don't yeah. get ahead of yourself. You're just going to stay humble. And I definitely, yeah, I feel that, but I love turning that around of like, you know, I have heard so many people say things like that before, like you're only as good as your last book that you published or movie or whatever. But I love the idea of instead using that to motivate you. Like I'm going to steal that and actually use that next time. Cause I, I recently was like looking through some of my old, newspaper articles and I was looking back at it thinking like I can't believe I wrote that like how did I write that am I capable of that still and I had a bit of like a moment but you know I'm going to use that now I'm going to turn it around yeah <laughs> and I have said this you know I probably might use it myself some more because it's like why don't we think about this more you are as great as the greatest thing you've ever done like that's you're that's what you're capable of and better why should that be your limit <laughs> you know you can certainly do even more than that so um yeah we're we're all we're all better than we think we are. <laughs> I I think that's true. We're all very, every human on earth is doesn't think that they're as good as they actually are. We're no. all too well, self you know, And that reflects a lot of what I write. I love writing about the human spirit, you know, to, to go back to, I suppose, the, even the books are very different, but the thread that joins them all together is that um, yeah. they are about the strength of the human spirit. And when we are faced with adversity and challenging times and we think we can't get through it, we do. We just do. I mean, it's it's incredible what people can go through and um, and get stronger from as a result. I think everyone would wish that we didn't have to go through those things, but, um, <laughs> but we can become stronger at the end of it. So that is endlessly inspiring for, for, you know, and I think I'll continue to write about that. Lovely. And I think maybe just to quickly finish, um, I would love to ask you about the Apple TV adaptation of raw the short stories collection that you wrote a couple of years ago has it just finished filming it's just finished filming um about two weeks ago we don't have a release date yet but it's um so it's raw yeah it's based on this there in the short story collection there were 30 stories it was like 30 women 30 stories about all the moments um like transitional moments in your life where you feel the need to to roar or to have that internal roar uh, to make a change and kind of um rise to the occasion so um i'm so delighted that they've been made by blossom films which is nicole kidman's company and made up stories which is also your your homegrown bruno papandrea and they are like incredible people to be working with i'm so so honored because they're such pros everything they're doing is um phenomenal and uh, and women-centric stories as well you know yeah. writing about women at the, at the heart of every story and we have these showrunners and creators, Liz Flahive and Carly Men. She created Glow on Netflix, which I love. And they're really, oh, they're so like, well, I've joked that my roar is a whisper in compared to what this show is <laughs> going to be. Like it's really roaring. And it's a fantastic cast of Nicole Kidman, 
uh, Cynthia Arrivo, Merritt Weaver, Alison Bree, Betty Gilpin, Mira Sayal, and some others that we haven't announced. So I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, it's just an amazing cast and an amazing team. I can't wait to watch it. I'm very excited. <laughs> I can't wait for people to see it. It's just so, I think it's so unique. I, I can't think of anything out there like it. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. <laughs> We'll have to wait and find out what release date is going to be. Probably yeah, I can't wait to watch next it. year or something. We'll probably have a while to wait yet. But yeah, I don't even want to take a guess because you never, you just never know. But it's just you know, in it's just wrapped, so it's in early stages now. Was it difficult at all um, with you know restrictions and things like that and the uncertainty of everything in film and TV at the moment? Well, yeah, they had to follow obviously all COVID restrictions and rules, and everybody was. Um, protected and kept safe and yeah it brought a whole new element to it <clears throat> and unfortunately I wasn't able to go and be there on so that that was the biggest yeah. horrible thing for me I've always been on set to watch my tv shows and my films um but I wasn't able to get there for for this one so but I was able to watch it remotely and I think because maybe because of of what of covid I had a little bit more access than I would have you know remotely you know it, it was done I'm sure that you know if everybody who was on set could tell you about all of how difficult it was but they they really did it there were such pros and they got it done um and yeah it looks top class <laughs> it's so exciting to see new film and tv like finally yeah. coming back after shutdowns and things like that so it's wonderful to hear that we can yeah. be looking forward to that yeah I mean it's one thing that we needed was content 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 yeah so um you know while the bookstores were closed and I was concerned about that you know you're wondering god will people ever read books again is my job over on the other side of it is like I was like oh well I have loads of tv and film that I need to that I can possibly get out there so there was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um but no I think we'll, we'll always need stories and entertainment and um that that kind of keeps us anyway for me keeps us occupied and, I, and as I kept saying, you know, the airports were closed, but bookshops were open and they're like portals to lots of other planets and lots of other worlds and lots of other countries. So you can always go in there and feel like you're traveling as soon as you open a book. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, opening this and I was like, oh, Dublin. Yeah, gorgeous. <laughs> like it was it was lovely. And I think um, I think that's always been reading's always a constant for us I think and something yeah. that always lifts us up reading is just my go-to whenever whenever I feel upset whenever I want comfort like if I look back at my whole life I can trace it in books and I guess you know it's so lovely to hear you say that your life you know you can read a book and think of moments where you were for things because I think that's how I feel about books I've read I can be like well I remember reading this at university and it made me feel this way and stuff. And um, yeah, me too. I just think it's so lovely that, you know, books can do that for us and they're just there for us. <laughs> yeah, that's the magic of books, you know? And I think in terms of, I suppose I say, whenever we're going through something, I want to read a book. I, I think my first thing I want to do is write, you know, my first form of um, escapism is to write, which is perfect because then when everyone else wants to escape, they want to read. So we're all, we're all servicing each other. We're all part of the same cycle of exactly. books. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a delight to chat to you. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed that. Um, now I'm sure that people have, no trouble at all finding you online but where can they go um to kind of follow you online um so yes i'm on facebook uh um instagram official underscore cecilia hearn and i'm on twitter 
uh, I don't know what my name is, uh, Cecilia Hearn, you'll find me. And it's C-E-C-E-L-I-A because there's a couple of C-E-C-I's and that's not me. That's not me. People masquerading as me. <laughs> Blue tick. <laughs> um, uh-huh. yeah, I'm quite, um, I'm not on it all the time sharing my life story, but I use it for, for work and sharing about what I'm doing with my with my work so that's where you go to find me and also my website ceciliaahern.com or something like that <laughs> i'm sure people will Wonderful. google it and find Look, it i'm not very tech savvy i don't know but I'm, I'm on there and i'm posting to somebody <laughs> <laughs> it gets done i was on your website looking for stuff when i was researching this interview i was like it it's very nice it works oh, yeah. It works. Yeah. And your books are available everywhere. So they're very easy. Literally to find. everywhere. Yeah. Literally everywhere. <laughs> you know, from my kids looking at those YouTubers, you know, subscribe, pointing down there, subscribe, <laughs> like, whatever. And then it comes to me and I can't even tell you my addresses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. You know, you almost need no introduction at all. Thank you again Thank for you joining so much, us. Cecilia. Um, absolute delight. And Freckles is out now in the UK, Ireland and Australia so we are delighted with that and everyone needs to go and read it thank you so much thank you I love talking to you thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me caitlin at just a bookish babe if you liked this episode please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review